The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. If you will, go ahead and take your Bibles. And contrary to what I had submitted in the bulletin, we are not in the book of Acts this morning. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we begin walking through this book, as many of you did in your small group Sunday school class today. But let me start by asking you this question. Uh, do you remember the last time? Well, first let me say, how many of you in here are married or have uh, been married before? Okay, it's pretty much all of us. We can relate to this question. Do you remember what the fight was? And if you don't want to use the word fight, some of you have never fought. Some of you have never lied either. Well, let's say 20, 30 years ago. For me, it's probably 33 years ago. I've been married 35 years this May, around year 32. I can remember just a knockdown drag out. She beat the snot out of me, but I remember that fight. But, you know, for the life of me, I cannot remember what it was about. Now, she probably remembers exactly what it was about, right? But I don't remember. We were young. I was stupid. She was smart. We had a newborn baby. She was working at night, waitressing tables. I was working during the day construction, and we did a swap-off. You know, I came home. I got the baby. She went to work. We're making ends meet, right? And, and it probably had something to do with whose responsibility it was to clean the dishes that were in the sink, maybe. It could have had something to do, who should run the vacuum cleaner that week? You remember those? Some of you are still fighting about those things, but you need to grow up, okay? I don't remember what it was about. It, it was about something that really was probably extremely insignificant in the big picture of God bringing a man and a woman together in unity and marriage, right? That was the main thing. The key word in unity. That's what we're going to talk about this morning because that's really what the Apostle Paul was addressing to that young church in Corinth. I jokingly say when people say, you know, we need to get back to the first century church, I say, have you read 1 Corinthians? And then I think, you know, sometimes we are just like the first Corinthian church. And Paul begins by making his plea to them in the first letters, first words of the first chapter by reminding them that, hey, folks, and can I put it in modern day vernacular? Hey, boneheads, don't you realize that God called you into relationship with him? And because of his grace and his mercy, not because of anything that you did, God called you into a relationship with Him, and he, he forgave your sins when you trusted Christ, and now He's infused, He's imparted to you righteousness, redemption, justification, all these other things that you would have had no clue of had He not done that for you. And then He gets into the meat kind of, of, of the first issue of disunity that they're joining with, but preceding that, I want you to notice in verse 4, excuse me, verse 10, he says this to them. After he builds them up and who they are in Christ, 
He says to them, I appeal to you, brothers. He's, he's making a plea and appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. In other words, if I can paraphrase what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, put all the petty stuff aside. He's reminding them, it's not about you. It's not about me. He's saying, put all that stuff aside and be united in the mission that you've been called to, and that's to win, disciple, and sin. Can anybody say amen to that? Put it away. And, and just like in early years of marriage, I, I think about some of the petty things that Sandy and I had with each other. I thank God that we've grown in maturity in marriage, that we don't have those things. She's always right, and I just never argue. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, right? But we've grown in that in grace with one another as God has extended His grace to us, and we've matured in that. And, and that's really the same that Paul is pleading with this church. Look, grow in the grace and knowledge that you have in Christ and recognize that the main thing still has to be the main thing. And the first little area he addresses is that how they are fans of or they're roadies of these different guys in the church that had preached the gospel there. There's Apollos and there's Paul. It's kind of in the modern equivalent today that while we all have people we love to, to listen to, they're good teachers, we have iPad, podcasts, everything available at our fingertips. But he's saying, look, don't follow any of them. Don't put them above the main thing. Paul elaborates on this when he, when he says this in verse 17. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Many scholars believe that Paul was probably a fuddy-duddy or a, a dud in the, in the pulpit. He wasn't a great orator. And Paul kind of gives description of his own presentation in not only this letter, but others. And Paul's saying, look, I didn't save you. Apollos didn't save you. None of these other guys saved you and quit following after us, but recognize and realize that Christ is not divided and it's Him that saved you through His bloodshed on the cross. It goes on and describes, makes some other descriptions and and we come to chapter 2, and the verses I want to focus on this morning are chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Preceding that, in the last verse of chapter 1, he says, Let no one boast, or let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And following all that he's saying about he and these other guys, he said, Look, don't boast in us, but boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, you're going to hear a lot of amens on this this morning. Because I just resonate with it. You see, the thing that saved you and I was not a person. 
The thing that saved you and I was not one gifted and oratative skills or that led us to Christ. But the one that brought us into relationship with Christ was God himself, that he drew us. The Holy Spirit opened our heart, opened our eyes so that we might hear the gospel and we were convicted of our sin and we recognized that God had had made a provision for our sin and we placed our trust in Him and Jesus is the one that saved us. Many of you have heard my testimony I shared before where when I was in Guam I came to know Christ but part of the testimony that I leave out oftentimes just for the sake of time is that it was Christmas Eve, and I remember there was a guy there that was on base, and he had come to me, and I didn't know him. I'd never met him before. And he knew that Christmas Eve was coming, and, and Christmas Eve was on a Sunday that day, and, and I was away from my family, and he had a heart to, to extend to me some grace and some love, and he said, hey, man, I'd like to invite you over to our house to have Christmas meal with us. But before we have Christmas dinner, we're going to go to church. Would you like to go to church with us on Christmas Eve morning and then have lunch with us after? And I said, yeah, that sounds great. And, and I don't remember the name of the church. I, quite honestly, I don't. I don't know if it was a Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Holy Roller. I have no idea what it was. But all I know was that when I went into that little church, that little white church up on the hill there above the base, and by the way, my son, when he was stationed in Guam, was able to find the church for me. But there was a a little guy there that was the preacher. I don't know how old he was. I just know all his hair was white. I can't remember a thing he said that morning, but all I know is the whole time that I was in that service and he was preaching the gospel that morning, I couldn't do anything but cry. I know that it wasn't eloquent. I know that it wasn't fancy. I know that he was not going to be heard on podcasts across the nation today. But all I know is, is that he was presenting the simplicity of the gospel and how I could be forgiven of my sins and come into relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Went to lunch with the family after church. Sat there and, of course, they asked me, are you a Christian? I said, of course. I'm from the South. I'm white. And big mama and granddaddy were, right? But in my heart, man, I knew something was missing. Well, it was the following week that I came to know Christ. And the emphasis in that, the reason I want to share that illustration is because regardless of who the present presenter is, I think what Paul is saying, the power is not in the presenter. The power is in the message of the cross. Some of you may feel inadequate in your own abilities to share the gospel with your neighbors, your friends, your family members. Can I relieve you of this? It does not depend on you. It depends on the power of the cross and the message of the gospel to save men. And Paul begins this in verse 1 of chapter 2 by saying, Brothers, when I came to you, I did not proclaim to you the testimony of God. In other words, it's God's testimony that he was proclaiming. He says, I didn't proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. It can be translated with eloquence or with philosophies of the day or world philosophy. 
In other words, he didn't come there trying to use eloquent speech to try to parse and parcel every word of grammar. I love what J. Vernon McGee said one time. How many of you remember J. Vernon McGee? I think I've shared this before. Listen to him on the radio all the time when I was an early believer. J. Vernon McGee had some criticism one time from one of his listeners. She wrote him a letter and said, you've mispronounced the name Nicodemus. J. Vernon McGee said, I don't care if it's pronounced Nicodemus or Nicodemus, he still had to be born again. <laughs> born again, do you get that? Okay. You see, the power is in the message. And that message is the message of the cross. And I think sometimes, just like the church in Corinth, that it's a habit sometimes that churches fall into, that they get their eyes they get their focus off the ball. They get their focus off the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. The main thing is the message of the cross. The main thing is the shed blood of cross for the remission of our sins, and there's no other way. And they get their focus on all these internal things that really do not matter a hill of beans. I've discovered that in church life, that where the focus is off of the mission, then all these other things begin to creep up. Pettiness. Well, I don't like this, and I don't like that. There's a word misspelled. Put Acts instead of 1 Corinthians. Well, put. I just admitted it, okay? Are you hearing what I'm saying? The main thing is the cross of Christ and the message of the gospel. And what can happen in church life is we can become navel gazers internally concerned or concerned only about internal matters and we don't really care about a world that's out there that's lost and dying and going to hell. My question, what does God care about? Does God really care about the petty things, or does He care about those that He loves, and He died so that they might have a relationship with Him? Answer the question. He cares about those that are lost. And so Paul's coming, calling them back to the, the main mission. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And then he says in verse 2, For I decided, I have made a definitive decision. In other words, the, the, the way that could be translated, I put a stake in the ground. And I have decided, I have determined that I did not want to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. As I pondered that this morning, or this week as I was preparing the message, I thought, what must that have looked like when Paul decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified? And as I began to look through the scriptures at different verses related to the death and the shed blood, the burial and the resurrection of Christ, I came to realize once again, and I was encouraged and motivated through the Word of God this week, that there are a ton of things that God accomplished for us by the death of Christ. And so that's the focus this morning. 
We're going to do a lot of Bible joggernauting this morning. But we've made it easy, and the verses are going to be on the overhead for you. And I would encourage you just to write these references down. But I want to encourage you this morning from the Word of God of what was the reason that Paul focused so much on the cross of Christ and his shed blood. And the first thing is this, and we all know it, but I want to remind us this morning. It is through the cross and the shed blood of Christ that we are cleansed and freed from the penalty and the domination of sin in our lives. Listen to this verse. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28, For this is my blood, and we remember this, we repeat it every time we take communion, but he reminds us that this is my blood, the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin apart from the shedding of blood, and God, very God, poured out his blood so that we might have forgiveness of sin. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.3 that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Why did Jesus die? For our sins. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter writes this, saying, He, meaning Jesus, He Himself bore our sins in His body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Are we aware this morning that on our own, apart from the power of the blood of Jesus, we cannot die to sin and we cannot live to righteousness without the power of His blood and the Holy Spirit of God in our lives? 1 John 1, 7, John writes and he says, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How much sin? All sin. Aren't you glad? Remember what you did yesterday? Maybe this morning? Guess what? Cleansed. <laughs> We're accepted. The Second thing, we're accepted and we're reconciled to God and we have peace with Him. We're not aware of this, but the Bible teaches that that before we came to know God through Christ, that we were enemies of God. And it's not that God made us His enemies, but it's that we made ourselves, we made God our enemy, Paul tells us. And through Christ, We who were once enemies of God have now been brought close in relationship. Ephesians 1, 6, and 7, verse 7. Mainly, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Third great thing about the cross and the blood of Jesus is that we're justified. Now, some define justification as meaning justice as I never sinned. You realize when God looks at you, He looks at you through Jesus' blood, and He sees you just as if you'd never sinned. Isn't that good stuff? Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. He says this, and we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. And I love that word translated there, propitiation. There's no other English word to describe it. It means that He was the wrath satisfier of God the Father. You see, God, because He is just, because He's holy, He has to judge sin and He has to pour out His wrath on sin and all the wrath of God that could have been stored up for you and I that we would receive the wrath of God was poured out on His Son, Jesus. He received that for us. 
forgive me if I get excited, but I can't help it. But it's by His blood. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. The next thing by His blood and the cross is that we're delivered from death. Now, we're going to face mortal death, right? As a judgment of sin in the garden, when man fell, we're all going to die. But spiritual death, he accomplished through the cross and his blood that we have the hope of eternal life in him. And through the blood of Christ, the cross, Paul says to Timothy, he abolished death and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I love the verse that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes the greatest condemning voice that I hear is my own. Anybody else with me on that? But Paul writes in that great chapter of chapter 8, where John quoted some this morning in verse 34, the rhetorical question, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We're delivered from the curse of the law, death and separation from God. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Think of that. God becoming a curse for us. We're delivered from judgment and the coming wrath. And we know and anticipate and we know that God's wrath is going to be poured out on all the earth as end comes. But for those of us who have come into relationship with God, have accepted Christ as our Savior, and the fact that He took on the wrath of a holy God for us and we're trusting Him, the Bible tells us that we're going to be spared from that. And as Paul writes to that church in Thessalonica, he says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. When's the last time you read Revelation and the Great Tribulation? There's a lot of wrath there. Praise God. Praise God that... We have been delivered from that. Verses 9 and 10 in that same book, chapter 5. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are aware of it, whether we are aware of sleep, we might live with Him. We're delivered from this present evil age. And is it a present evil age we live in? And we're seeing it getting worse. That doesn't mean that we're not impacted and affected, but we're delivered from it through the blood of Christ. We're delivered from that. And Paul makes it very clear in Galatians. He says he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Meaning, well, we don't have to be engulfed by it. Thank God for that. Satan's power over death in the world is broken and destroyed, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Part of that verse says that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Folks, he has been defeated. Destroyed. 
I can't imagine, I can only imagine that, boy, the day Jesus came out of the grave, the devil said, uh-oh, why did we do that? Because it's through his death, burial, and resurrection that the enemy and all of his legion of angels have been cast down and destroyed. We're healed. And I know in context, we're talking mostly spiritual healing in this in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But the greatest healing we ever could have or ever would need would be the healing of the consequences of a nature of sin. Amen? Isaiah 53, 5. But he who was pierced for our transgressions, he was crucified for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Sinners are saved, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The application, the way to to see this is that we didn't have to clean up our act and become a non-sinner before He died for us. He died for us when we were in that condition. 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. It's hard to do something for somebody that we know is, that's the right adjective to describe. Less than what we might have the image of a good person, Right? Somebody that's just evil. Somebody that's just mean. Somebody that's just a busybody. Somebody that's just a gossip. Somebody that's just a... Boy, they're just not cut of the same cloth. Oftentimes, it's easier for us to, to do things for those that, that are like us, Right? And that's a parallel that the righteous, holy, spotless, sinless Son of God shed His blood for you and me. If you're here this morning and don't realize you're unrighteous apart from Him, man, there's got to be a waking up. Save sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. While we were enemies, we've talked about that, Romans 5.10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Through the cross, that all men would be drawn to Christ, John 12.32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Here's one I love. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you and I who were separated from God and would have no opportunity to be near Him, we can now draw near to Him without any fear or reservation and come boldly before the throne. As the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus. We're freed from the self-centered life. Now, Oftentimes we live the self-centered life, but can I give you a secret? We don't have to. (laughs) We're freed from that. 
as we heard last week in, in, in the message that Carrie brought us on repentance, boy, repentance is a joyful thing. It is a good thing. And the self-centered life is really a miserable life. And we're freed from that through the cross of Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that he died for all of us, that we may no longer live for ourselves. We have the freedom now to live for others. <laughs> You're not getting excited about that, right? <laughs> but there's a joy in that. Have you ever gone to serve somebody or do something for somebody and you think you're doing it for them and when you leave there you realize you know what I was going to do that for so and so but man I am so blessed as a result of being there with that person went to see Miss Trudy not too long ago and I thought you know I'm going to go see her and spend some time with her and you know Miss Trudy I got an earful right <laughs> I love her but man, we left there so blessed. Why? Because we had fellowship with Jesus together. All that is a benefit of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He's enabled us to have a life of righteousness. Because of Him, the cross, we can now love others. Because we're given the great command to love God and to love others, right? But in our own ability, that's impossible to do. We might have a pseudo-love, but I've learned that that kind of love oftentimes is reciprocal. I love you because I'm expecting what? Something in return. I believe that's why James tells us to look after orphans and widows. If you ever think about this, what is it that an orphan and a widow can give back to us if we look after them? Nothing. But by the cross, we are allowed, we are enabled, given the ability to love as Christ loved, has loved us. Look at Romans 5.5. 5. He says, and hope does not disappoint, doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom He has given to us. If we say, you know, I just can't love that person. I'm, I'm saying that the wrong way. What I'm saying is, I'm choosing not to love that person. You get that? Because God has poured out His love in my heart. And as I yield to the Holy Spirit, as I desire to please Him, to be a disciple of Christ, then I have that, you have that ability to love those who may have hurt you, who may have ridiculed you, who may be different than you. You and I have the ability by God to love, and there's such a pleasure in love. You know, I've learned that, boy, it is so much more freeing to love than it is to hate. Let me keep moving on. The next thing is our conscience has been cleansed. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Hebrews 9.14, He has purified our conscience from dead works to serve the, serve the living God. 
Because of the cross, we now know the power of God. This, look at in 1 Corinthians 1.18. This is an amazing verse. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, to those that are in the world, the, the message of the cross, the message of the cross really seems like a failure, doesn't it? That he didn't succeed. That this guy Jesus came around and he did all the things he did. And well, he fell because he got crucified on a cross. Isn't it like God to turn that upside down? And say, you know what? It's to the cross that I demonstrate my power. Because it's the power to save by the shed blood of the Lamb on the cross. We're enabled, freed from our old sinful habits. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sanctified. We're reconciled to all men. Let me camp on this one for just a minute through the cross. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility and might reconcile us both to God in the body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, and who Paul is making reference to is the Jew and the Gentile. And there was this great barrier and divide that was there. But Paul says now, through the cross, we can be reconciled to one another. And in that particular instance, it was the Jew and the Gentile. But can I tell you this? As Christians who our lives have been transformed and the disciple of Christ, Christ has broken down the barrier wall and he has allowed us to have reconciliation with all people. I can get a heavy amen on that. We desperately need reconciliation in this nation between so many different factions. But I've come to realize this. As the church, as the body of Christ, our message of reconciliation and the only one that will bring about true reconciliation is when men and women come to know Christ and their lives are transformed and that wall goes down and there is genuine reconciliation. It is not going to come through government legislation. It's not going to come through other movements. It is only going to come through the cross of Christ. So for me as a Christian, rather than me bellyaching about all the divisions, what I need to be busy about doing is preaching the gospel of Christ because that's the only thing that transformed my life and that is the only thing that transformed a man's life is the cross of Christ. I can't solve the other stuff. It's way above my pay grade. You understand what I'm saying? But one thing I know is that Christ died for all men and he will transform all men's lives. Amen. Can I hear an amen on that? The bride, his church, was purchased by his blood. Look at this. Acts 20, 28. Talking about the church which he obtained with his blood. Now, I obtained my wife through smooth talk. 
And believe it or not, good looks. That was back then. <laughs> he paid a precious price for you. And you're his bride. I'm at an age I'm not quite what I once was. But you mess with my bride. Do you understand? Folks, you're his bride. And what these folks in 1 Corinthians were doing were causing all these little petty stuff. And what they were doing, they weren't damaging anybody else except the bride of Christ. Y'all hear that? I don't want to damage his bride. I don't want to hurt his bride. Because it's his bride. You're his bride. Therefore, I'd say in all of this, because of the cross of Christ, because of his bloodshed, therefore, the author of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Paul's delivery in this to the church, I find it amazing, was in great humility. Look at verse 3 in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 2, 2. He says, and I was with you in weakness. Paul literally meant he was with them in weakness. He recognized his weaknesses. And in fear and much trembling. In other words, Paul wasn't self-assured. Paul's assurance rests on the word of God and the gospel of Christ, not on himself. And in your endeavor to lead others to Christ, to share Christ with them, recognize and realize that it is the message of the cross, and it doesn't depend on you and me. We just got to be faithful to share the message. He recognized that his source, again, was not through plausible words, or today's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. We are praying and asking God to do something not only in our own church where others continue to come to know Christ, but in our community that surrounds us. We're asking God to do that we could no way do it in our own efforts, that if we really want to see what can be done, it's got to be God that does it, not us. So we pray. We seek God. We beg God. Not so that we can become grandiose in the biggest church in the county. That doesn't mean a hill of beans to any of us, I hope. But we want to see Christ glorified and His name exalted. Lastly, somebody said, Paul's purpose was to build their faith. Verse 5. He says, listen, I'm wanting to build your faith. Your faith in Him, your faith in the gospel, your faith in the Word, the faith, your faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to build your faith so that it doesn't rest on the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. I hope you're encouraged this morning by what Christ has done through His shed blood on the cross and his resurrection. And I pray that by God's Spirit we'd be motivated by our love for others to share that message with them 
and believe that God is going to do immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine among us. Let's close. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.